Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare, a medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine. He is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right. Well, welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. As always, I am your host, Dr. Luis Sandoval. Always happy to be here. Always happy to be delivering good Catholic content on this wonderful radio station. And thank you for joining us uh, on this wonderful Thursday. Let's go ahead and start our show like we normally do here at the top of the noon hour with the Angelus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke and we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today. We have an interesting show, an interesting topic, really, more than anything else. I've been getting emails from... Uh, people and there's a general theme of fear, anxiety, and uneasiness going around. Not surprising. Anxiety is the number one diagnosis. You know, it's about uh, easily 25% of the population uh, will have uh, some form of anxiety. And, I'm, and by anxiety, I mean clinical anxiety. I mean, if we look at our world, if we look at how we're built as human beings, we're meant to have a certain level of anxiety. It's normal to have anxiety, especially in anxiety-provoking situations. It's actually uh, beneficial and it's actually a survival mechanism. So unfortunately, if anybody's going through a situation of, of war or some kind of, some kind of an alarm in that fashion, it's natural for the system to be anxious because it gives us what we call the fight or flight response or the sympathetic nervous system response, as we say in medicine, where our brain tells our body, you better move, there's danger, there's something you need to get away from, and that's actually really good. It's good to have that, it's good to know that, because if the building's on fire, I better get moving and get out, and anxiety can be very motivating. On a different level, on an everyday level, sometimes if you're a student in college or high school and you have an exam coming up, uh, it's good to have a little bit of anxiety about it, right? Because that's what motivates us to actually sit down and study for a little while. When it's not good is when the anxiety is to a point where all of a sudden it's paralyzing. The example would be that you're so stressed about the test that's coming up that you don't even read the book. You're too scared to even do that. You're too scared to look at what can possibly be on the exam because you feel like you're never gonna make it or you're not gonna succeed or you've already feel like you failed to begin with before you even started to study. 
And I think that that's the biggest challenge that we experience. Today's topic is based on a few messages that I've been getting. So some messages general about anxiety, but there was one in particular that I thought was interesting and I wanna go ahead and read that. But before I read that email, um, I want to listen to this Bible verse because it's gonna speak volumes to it. This Bible verse is from 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24. And it says, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully. Today's topic is, I'm afraid of God. And I don't know what to do about that. So I think it's important that we talk about anxiety, fear, and what does it mean to have fear of God or to be afraid of God or to have anxiety when we're trying to approach God or think about coming closer to God. It's important to talk about because this is a common uh, emotion people have, a common feeling, um, but we don't really talk about it because it's kind of shameful, right? How can we possibly be afraid of God? How does that even make sense in our Catholic world? Well, we'll take a look at that. So again, that Bible verse was only fear, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully. And that comes from 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24. Well, what do we do? Let's read this email first. Let me pull it up here on my computer. Um, and it says, Dear Dr. Sandoval, I pray every day. Um, <clears throat> let me see here. Hang on one second. It says, I pray every day. Um, I try to do my best to keep up a good prayer life. Um, I do suffer from some anxiety. Uh, and I have been treated for that in the past, though I am no longer taking medication for it at this time. I feel that I'm doing well without medication as far as, as, far as my anxiety, but it's hard for me to distinguish a few things. When I pray, I'm always afraid that no matter what I do, I'm going to go to hell. Nothing I do is good enough. I'm afraid that regardless of my sacrifice or the amount of time I spend in prayer, God does not look favorably on me and I am pretty much going to go to hell. This really creates a lot of fear in me, a lot of anxiety. I don't know what to do about it. Are there any good deliverance prayers that you might know of? Um, please help. So that's what the email says. It's very common to have this. You know, a lot of people experience this, but we don't like to talk about it. Why? Because the idea is that if I'm gonna go pray and I'm gonna go to church and I'm gonna praise God, why should I be afraid of him? Yet we look at God in different ways, right? So one of the things that we need to ask ourselves is, who is God and why would I be afraid of him? Because the consequences of not being afraid of him is that we're gonna to go to hell, but we need to make distinctions. Should I be afraid of God or should I fear God? Should I feel anxiety coming as I come closer to God or as I come to prayer? And if I do, what does that mean? Let's break it down a little bit. Before we get into this, let's read some nice Bible verses. Um, because it can be a daunting subject, especially we approach it. And when we approach God, sometimes we don't even think about who he is or, or how we're approaching him. We just know what we focus on ourselves. And we say, I'm not ready to pray to God. I'm not ready to approach God. I'm not ready uh, to do that. God's going to send me to hell. I hear this all the time. People say, oh, I'm never going to make it to heaven. I can never be a saint. I can't do any of these things. We, we believe at a certain level that we're not going to be able to make it, so to speak, which in a way, it would be true. It would be true. However, we have something, we have someone on our side. Someone on our side who made that completely not true. In fact, made the opposite true. Made us actually children of God by his actions. And we're going to talk about that. But let's read a few Bible verses. The first one is, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And that comes from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. That's a great verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. But again, who is the Lord? Who is this person that I'm supposed to trust? That can be kind of scary to say, who am I going to trust? Why, why am I trusting him? Let's look at what the first John chapter four, verse eight tells us. 
God is love. Sounds pretty good. I don't know. We're headed in the right direction there. We're, we're headed towards the direction that if God is love, can I trust God? Let's look at a different Bible verse. Um, let me see here. There was a good one that I had found. Let's see here. Ah, this is a good one. If God is for us, who can be against us? And that comes from Romans chapter 8, verse 31. It's important to remember this because when we read the Bible, a lot of times people say, I'm afraid of God. I, you know, I, look, I think of God and I think of God from the Old Testament. And there's nothing I can do. Um, you know, the God in the Old Testament, boy, he came down hard on people. And it just seemed like there were wars and deaths. And if he didn't like you, you were going to be smited. That was it. He's going to smote you or whatever the word is. Um, you know, you're going to be done for. And there's no hope for you. That's a really hard way to live. That can really cause a lot of anxiety. And it's really causing a lot of religious anxiety, right? So I think that that's one of the bigger challenges is that who are we approaching? And then why would I even approach God if I already feel like I'm condemned to go to hell? What's what's the difference? Why even pray? Well, let's talk about a few things here. The first thing I think we need to talk about before we even think about approaching God is let's talk about the difference between anxiety and fear. Um, and what that really means. So we touched a little bit earlier on, on what the difference is between a healthy anxiety and a clinical anxiety. When it comes to the clinical anxiety component, if you're feeling like you're always anxious or you know somebody who's continually anxious, no matter what they're doing, they could go to Disneyland and be in what's called the happiest place on earth, and they're going to be anxious at Disneyland. You could tell this person, you know what, we're going to go on a trip. We're going to go to a beautiful tropical island where you're not going to have to worry about anything. Your room's taken care of. It's all paid for. You're going to be able to sit on the beach and enjoy a nice drink, a nice meal. You don't have to worry. It's all included. You don't have to worry about anything. That person will get there and find a way to be anxious. You know what? There's going to be a typhoon. The hotel is going to run out of food. I'm going to be thirsty and I'm not going to be able to have anything around because they're going to run out of all the drinks. Uh, I'm not going to bring the right outfit and they're going to tell me I can't go to the party. There's always going to be a reason to be anxious. If that's the case, then I would recommend that if you're experiencing that, you have a friend who's experiencing that, a family member who's experiencing that, talk to somebody. You want to talk to either a friend or a family member who you trust, who you trust with your emotions and you know that they're have the with, uh, your best interests at heart. Yeah, they're not going to make fun of you. And that's the first thing that I would say is the most important. The next thing is, if that's not enough, definitely go talk to a doctor. Uh, we can start even, say, with a therapist, somebody who's not going to prescribe you medication just yet, somebody who's a third-party neutral, and they're going to just listen to you, be a sounding board. Because a lot of times with anxiety, all we really need to do is let it out. We need to be able to talk to somebody and just tell them exactly what we're thinking. Because if somebody is experiencing anxiety, for the most part, they recognize that it's not rational. Okay, And that can be very embarrassing. Like if you tell somebody, hey, we're going to go on a cruise ship, um, and we're just going to go around the harbor. There's going to be a lot of people uh, for a couple hours, and we're going to have a, it's a nice dinner cruise, and we're going to come back. First thing that person might say is, is the ship going to drown? Or is it going to capsize? Or are we going to die? That's a hard way to live, but it's also bringing everybody else down. Now, even though that person is saying that, they probably recognize that that's not reasonable and that's probably not going to happen, but they don't know how to stop that emotion. That's really hard. The first step might be just talking to a therapist. A therapist is there, a great sounding board, and they can tell you, you know what, challenge that idea. Let's see what you're really thinking and start to see you through. We're going to keep talking about this topic when we come back from the break. 
right, well, welcome back to Virgin Mouse Powerful Radio. You're here at the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. Uh, as always, I'm always happy to be here listening, or not listening, speaking to our listeners and listening to your emails, actually, when you send them through. Today, uh, today's topic is actually an interesting one. It's, it's kind of a little bit of a heavy one for some people because it's not uh, it's not something that we can commonly speak about, I would say, for the most part, unless it's with someone you really trust. And today's topic is about being afraid of God, really, more than anything else. You know, as Catholics, we say we go to church, we want to receive communion, we want to take all the right steps and follow all the right rules. Yet at the same time, we can feel like we are afraid of God. And that's a really hard position to be in because we have to ask ourselves why. So before we get into the meat of that, we're trying to analyze what's the difference between being afraid, fear, clinical anxiety, where am I at, where do I fall in this, and what's normal and what's not normal, do I need help or not, before I can even say, how do I approach God? What we were saying before the break was um, there's a level of clinical anxiety if somebody is experiencing this where every, everything's going to cause you worry. There's not going to be a moment where the person's not going to feel like something bad's going to happen, right? And so that's there's something unhealthy there. In the spiritual world, we have something along these lines of, shall we say, clinical anxiety, but shall we call it spiritual anxiety? And that's what we call scrupulosity. Right? Well, all of a sudden we feel like anything I do is a sin. I didn't put the dishes away in the right way. That's a sin. I didn't think about things in the right way. That's a sin. I'm going to go to hell. I made a Lenten promise that I wasn't going to, I don't know, eat cake. And next thing you know, I was at a party and I couldn't say no. And the bride handed me a piece of cake herself and I didn't want to be rude. So I ate some. But then I felt bad because it was my Lenten promise. What do I do? And yet at the same time, you ask somebody else and they'll tell you that's not a sin. It's actually probably more of a sacrifice for you to be able to make the bride happy or give her some kind of joy because you're sharing in her joy. Um, if she is having a wedding during Lent, um, you know, that can be something that can be challenging. If that was something that you decided to give up was either festivities or parties or cake or whatever it is. But if you do that, are we able to be charitable, not just to the other person, but with ourselves and recognize that God is not there to put us down? That can lead to scrupulosity. If everything I do is considered a sin, if everything I do is considered very heavy or a burden, or I'm going to go to hell over it, that can be very, very challenging, right? So that's the equivalent of what I would call clinical anxiety in the mental health world, scrupulosity in the spiritual world. So what happens? I was saying before the break, if you're experiencing that, or you know somebody who is experiencing that, it might be easy or it might be nice to just go talk to a therapist first. Right, and just see what they have to say about it. Bring, let them bring you to a little bit of reasoning, a little bit of uh, challenging those thoughts, because the thoughts themselves might not be logical, but the person experiencing them is experiencing them for real. You know, they're, they might be trying to stop them, but they don't know how. They feel that everything's dooming them, but they don't know how to get out of that. So that's with clinical anxiety. Okay, let's talk about a little bit of a different topic, um, but very similar. So. Anxiety is usually fear about something that's coming up, something that's going to happen. The example I used was, you know, we're going to go on a, on a nice dinner cruise and the ship might sink. What do I do? Well, I don't know because it's a maybe. It's, it could happen in the future. It could happen if I go on this dinner cruise. It's not happening right now. There's a difference between anxiety like that and fear. Fear is that emotion that we have when there is imminent danger, right? So there's fear. Something is happening right now. There's a burglar in my house. I think there's a bur burglar in my house. I feel fear. I went to the zoo and they said that the lion got out. 
I'm both afraid and anxious because the reality is the lion is out somewhere, so I am afraid. But I'm anxious because I haven't seen it yet, and I'm worried that I might encounter the lion. Now, if I do encounter the lion, then it's 100% fear. The lion is right there, and that's all there is to it. There is nothing I can do about it um, other than hopefully run or fend it off or scare it or something. Um, but I'm experiencing fear in that moment. What's the difference between that and experiencing fear of God? So am I afraid of God or am I experiencing fear of God? There's a big difference. The email that was sent to me was more along the lines of, I'm afraid of God. I don't have fear of God, but I'm afraid of God. I'm afraid that I'm going to go to hell. So there's that anxiety that in the future, I'm going to be condemned to hell. But in the moment, I have fear. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to put myself in the presence of God. And there's a fear because I'm afraid. I'm afraid that God doesn't like me. God doesn't accept me. Let's read a Bible verse about that. Let's look at this. And what Bible verse could that possibly be where you say, gosh, well, I don't know. Where is there somebody who's afraid of God or does not have, shall we say, fear of God? Fear of God is respect. Because what happens if we're afraid of God? What happens if I say, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter. God's going to send me to hell. I might as well just sin. I'm afraid. It's going to lead us to, one, feeling hopeless. We're going to feel hopeless, and we're going to say, what's the point? Well, then why not just keep sinning? Who cares? I'm already going to hell. Might as well enjoy the trip before I get there. Might as well just do whatever's wrong. I think we've all been there at some point, um, and it's really a, a hard place to be, right? It's it's challenging to be there because there's nothing there's nothing hopeful. There's nothing that I feel like, oh, there's, there's going to be something for me in the future, something I can make up for. Who felt that way in the Bible? Let's look at the story. Let's look at the story of Cain and Abel. You know, so there's a, if we look at Genesis chapter 4, I'm going to start reading where it says, Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. So Cain brings his works to the Lord, right? He presents himself to the Lord with what he worked out of the soil. So if he's working the soil, it says he makes fruits from the soil, whatever he's growing. Abel also brought an offering, but remember, Abel kept flocks. And so Abel, it says, he bought, brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offerings, but on Cain and his offerings, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Notice, it brings up anger and feeling downcast. Because we feel that that which we offer God or presenting ourselves before God is not good enough and God is not going to look with favor on our offerings. The same way it says here on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Okay, why might we be feeling that way? Why might we, we experience that? It could just be scrupulosity and anxiety that we can't control. But then we have to take a really good hard look at ourselves and say, am I doing something that I know I shouldn't be doing? And I'm not even going to go into details of sin or anything like that because I can't predict what is a sin for one person or another. We have to use our own conscience to understand what the Ten Commandments are, what the rules of following God are, and what am I doing that I know I should be doing, and what am I not doing that I know that I should be doing. Why do I say that? Because let's look at the next part. The next part says, Then the Lord said to Cain, remember at this point, Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. So the Lord says to him, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? God saying, why this reaction, right? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Right there. Let's look at the psychology here. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? 
But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. I think this is where it comes down to where do we face? It's not so much facing God. I think when we're afraid of facing God or afraid of putting ourselves in the presence of God, not having fear of the Lord, but afraid of facing God, this is where we got to ask ourselves, what am I doing that I'm not allowing myself to be at peace with the Lord? Again, two situations, though, because some people might just be anxious. Some people might be scrupulous, and we have to deal with that scrupulosity. That's very different because that person, if somebody's experiencing scrupulosity, then it doesn't matter what you do. You already feel like you're going to go to hell, not because you present yourself before God or not, but because you feel like only you are in charge of your own salvation and everything you do is going to lead you down the path to hell. And we forget the, to add Jesus in the equation. We're going to talk about that a little bit later down the road here uh, on the show. But if we become scrupulous, it's because we're just looking on the inside. We're looking at ourselves. We're not looking towards God. It's the same with anxiety. If you notice anxiety, we challenge that. We, as a therapist, you would challenge that. As a psychiatrist, you would challenge that. And if a therapist is not enough, I recommend you go to your primary care doctor or a psychiatrist, get a little bit of medication, low dose, maybe an SSRI or something along those lines, and bring you out of that because it brings you out of just looking at your own situation. Boy, I'm going to die right now. That ship's going to sink. The house is going to fall. Nothing good's going to happen. And what we're not finishing with that sentence is nothing good's going to happen to me. And we forget to look around and realize you know what? Other people are here and they're okay. Why wouldn't I also be okay? Why can't I join with other people? You notice that that anxiety puts us on the interior. It just makes us look inside and it takes us away from being able to share our lives with other people and from being able to share in other people's happiness. We can't see that. We don't see that far because the anxiety blinds us. I think in the same way, the scrupulosity will blind people. You know, everything I do is a sin and we forget, no, we're not perfect. We are going to sin, not because we want to. And I don't say that we should just accept it and say, well, if I accept it, then I'm just going to keep sinning. No, but we got to remember that we got to overcome it. And that's what it said. Let's go back. Let's look at the psychology and let's see, understand what God is trying to say. So let's say that we're not scrupulous, but we want to pray, but we say, ah, I can't go to church right now. No, I've been kind of putting off confession. No, I just don't feel right going into mass. I, I'm just going to skip this week. Not because I'm scrupulous, but because there's something inside of me that's saying, I'm kind of afraid. I want to go to Mass, but I know that I should go to confession. I know I did something, and I know that I'm not in a good place right now with God. Am I ready to fix it? Or am I content with the sin or the moment? That's a big question. That's a big question we have to ask ourselves, because like it or not, there's a, there's a certain enjoyment of sin. And that's the part that we're going to regret when we look at what the sin is. Hey, I've been there. You look at what the sin is. The moment it seemed great. And then all of a sudden you look back and you're like, gosh, I've done that. Why did I do that? And the regret is the fact that I actually enjoyed something that was not of God, that was not bringing me closer to God. That's going to be a heavy regret. Let's look back to the Bible verse. Let's, let's see what happened with Cain. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? First of all, that tells us that God knows us better. We're afraid that God's going to call us on that. God's going to call us on our emotions that we're trying to hide. No, 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 I'm fine, God. No, no, I'm not angry. No, I'm not. No, it's all it's all good. I'm, I'm fine. God's going to look at that, and we can't hide that from God. So one, I think that that's a scary part. That's why I'm afraid. Because if I'm going to go there, if I'm going to pray, I can't hide anything. God knows exactly what I'm thinking. God knows what I'm doing. God knows where I've been. God knows where I'm going. But I don't know that I'm ready to change. And I think that that's part of the scarier part. Because let's look at what God says. 
He sees them angry, he sees them downcast. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. We're going to look at the last section, just the last uh, verse in just a second. I'm not going to read that yet, but let's look at look at that again. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. This is interesting. We got to look at the psychology because then we need to understand sin. I'm not ready. God knows that I'm angry and downcast. I'm not ready to hear that. I'm not ready to hear the truth because of the next part. Cain was, whatever Cain was doing, he wasn't doing what he knew to be right. And that's what God's going to call us on. God's going to say, you know what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. Your conscience is telling you what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. And I think you're afraid to come here because you still want to continue in the enjoyment of your sin. That can be a really hard place to be because we have to look at ourselves and ask ourselves, is that truly where I'm at? Am I truly in a position where I'm away from God and I'm kind of okay with it and I want it to be okay and I want sin to not be sin? You know, that's that's a hard place to be. I think we've all been there. We're going to talk more about that when we come back from the break. Welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval show here. As always, happy to have you. Happy to uh, share this time with our listeners. Um, feel free to email me at dr.sandovalvmpr at gmail.com. If you have any questions, if you have any thoughts on anything, uh, I try to get to you in a speedy uh, fashion. Lately, it's been a little bit busy, so please be patient with me. Sometimes it might take actually a week or two because I do get a few emails. Um, but Lo and behold, if I don't get to you fast enough, send me another email and maybe I'll be able to catch up um, soon. Today we're talking about really being afraid of God, and it's a difficult position to be in. Why? Because if I'm afraid of God, if I'm not being scrupulous, and I'm not being clinically anxious or anything along those lines, but if I'm afraid of God, I might have to look into my own heart and ask myself, am I in a position where I need to be as a Catholic? Am I doing the right things that I need to do? Or am I becoming content with sin and making excuses of, you know what, whatever I'm doing, it's okay. I don't, I don't have to change that much. Um, you know, gosh, it, it can't be that bad. So, you know, it's something to consider. It's something to think about. We were reading the story of Cain and Abel because it really speaks to me when I read this about where we are in, in, in our relationship with God and what happens as a consequence if we don't fix that. For the break, we were reading about how God was talking to Cain, and Cain obviously was jealous of Abel. Abel's gifts seemed to go to God, and God was approving of them and was pleased with them, but wasn't so pleased with Cain's. So let's look at why. Again, we finished off at the, before the break when we were reading this verse where God was telling Cain, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. So if you don't do what you know is right, if I don't do what I know to be true, what I know to be right, sin is right there at my door. Something bad's going to happen. Or am I already happy in sin? Notice that there's two different things. If you don't do what is right, maybe you're not even sinning just yet, but you know that you should be doing things. So it might be the sin of, of omission. You're not doing what is right. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. Notice that there's an emotion and a will attached to sin at this point. God says, sin desires to have you. 
sin is something that's just there, but it seems to take on a mind of its own. It personifies sin. Sin wants you. There is an attraction to it. Gotta remember, Adam and Eve, when Eve took the apple, the apple looked good to her. It was pleasing to the eyes. Sin will make it so that it looks good. Of course, we're talking about demons, we're talking about devils, we're talking about temptations, we're talking about things on those lines that will always try to make sin to look good. But I think this is the most important part. And this is the part that I think we need to listen to, whether we're feeling anxious, whether we're feeling afraid, whether we're feeling scrupulous, God gives us an important command. And it's actually a battle command, if you will, because he finishes off that verse by saying, but you must rule over it. Why do I say it's a battle command? It's a dominion. He's saying it's a battle. He's saying you have to tame this. You have to tame this desire to do sin. Sin is crouching at your door, desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Who rules over something? A ruler, a king. God is letting us know who we are. We are not submissive to sin. He's given us a command to rule over. He's telling us you are a royal nation. You are rulers, and you must rule over sin to show who you are. Are you not my son? That's really what God is saying. You are my son. You must rule over sin. Let's look at what happens. What was Cain's response? What did he say? Did he say, geez, God, you're right. I think I'm going to start doing what's right, and I'm going to overcome sin. I'm actually going to fight this sinful part. I'm going to fight not doing what is right, and I'm going to start to do what's right. I'm going to take it up upon myself so that I can be pleasing in your eyes. Is that what Cain does? No, he does not. What does he do? He says, turns to his brother Abel, and he says, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Why? What did this game, we can say he was jealous. That's what a lot of people say. Well, he was so jealous of Abel. We can argue that he was jealous of Abel, and I'm sure there was a level of that. However, I think it's a lot of times what we do. Instead of doing what's right, we get rid of anything that represents what's right to us, anything that might remind us of what I should be doing, not because I'm jealous of it, but because I'm angry. Remember, that was the first question God asked Cain. He said, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? He's angry at Abel because Abel represents to him what he could be doing, what he knows he should be doing, and his face is downcast because he doesn't want to do it. He wants to continue in his sin, or he wants to continue in not doing what is right. I think that's what we have to ask ourselves. Now, to whoever, to the person who emailed me, I'm not saying that they're sinning. I'm not here to judge anybody or rule on anybody, but I think it's a question we have to ask ourselves. Why am I afraid to sin? Why am I afraid that I'm going to go to hell no matter what I do? Why am I afraid to go present myself before God versus having the fear of God? And we're going to look at the fear of God when we come back at the last part of the show, but this is important to consider. If I'm going to go pray, am I, one, just feeling anxious? You know, that can happen. Anxiety can cause us to believe that. I'm going to go to hell no matter what because I love God and I want to be with God. And I want to do the right thing and I have been doing the right thing. But gosh, I'm so anxious that things are going to happen. I, I don't know. I just feel like at the last moment, even though I love God and God loves me, and I think God is so benevolent and great, but I'm just so anxious that I'm going to make the wrong choice. You know, that's not necessarily scripture. That could just be anxiety, right? It could just be anxiety of, Gosh, I just feel like I always do everything. When you hear the always, the nevers, I, God's never going to allow me into heaven because I'm going to choose what's wrong. We can start working ourselves up and that could just be anxiety, right? So the first thing I would say is go get that evaluated. See if there is just a clinical anxiety, something you need to get treatment for and feel better about. The second thing, 
could be that we are getting scrupulous, right? And all of a sudden we feel that anything we do is a sin, no matter what, no matter how simple, even if somebody else tells you, no, that's not simple, you can go talk to a few priests and they'll tell you, no, that's not simple. We could be getting scrupulous. And the reality is, gosh, God's not going to accept me because I have failed and I'm downtrodden on myself. Everybody else is good and I appreciate them for who they are. I think that that's wonderful. I, I wish I could be like them, but I feel like everything I do is wrong. Now, notice there's no anger in that. It's just strictly being afraid, being uh, spiritually afraid, again, because it's a scrupulosity. I feel like everything I do is a sin. But I'm not angry at other people. I don't judge other people. I don't tell other people what to do. I just feel that what I'm doing is not right. Okay. But then we can get into the point where we really have to ask ourselves, is it because I want what I want? Is it because I might be doing something that the church says? And I know that the church says it's sinful, but, uh, you know, I don't feel like it's a sin. It doesn't feel like a sin to me. So why should I stop, right? Why shouldn't I do it? I mean, it's, it's probably not that bad. It, it, nothing bad has happened in my life. I'm doing this. And, you know, there was a, a patient I was treating one time. They were into really crystals and tarot cards and things along those lines. And they said, you know, nothing bad's happening to me. Why should I stop? You know, I know that the church I go to now, and they weren't even Catholic. They were going to a non-denominational Christian church. And they were saying, even there, they told us not to do these things, not to listen to psychics, not to read horoscopes, not to uh, entrust the power of crystals or the universe. But I'm doing it because I think I get answers and nothing bad's happening to me, although the person was suffering from mental health issues. And it seemed to get better when they didn't do these things, but something was drawing them, right? This is the part where if we look at that Bible verse again, it desires to have you. Sin desires to have you. It's going to draw you close. It's going to look appealing. It's going to look like that apple. It's going to look like it's not so bad. And that can be really, really challenging. Why? Because it's enjoyable. You know, sometimes there's we enjoy feeling like there's an energy out there. We enjoy feeling like we can do something and, and it's okay, or we're not under uh, somebody else's rule, being God's rule, and that's why I'm afraid to go to him now. Because if I get there, I'm going to have to come, I'm going to have, as they say, a come to Jesus meeting, and I'm going to have to recognize that, no, it's not my will. It's, I got to ask myself, am I doing God's will or not? Am I doing the things I know I should do right? And if I'm not, why not? Why am I not doing the things that I know I should be doing? Every one of us, I think, has a situation where we, you know, I was telling my wife, gosh, I was trying to clean out some of my clutter in the garage. And as I'm doing it, I'm finding real treasures of things that oh, I forgot that was there. Well, I forgot I had this thing. I was going to go out and buy another one of these. And I didn't realize I was there. So my wife as I get rid of this clutter. The actual good thing is that I'm actually finding real treasures of things that I, that I can use, things that I needed. Um, but I was never going to find them if I didn't clean that out. At the same time, to get to start cleaning something out, that can feel like a daunting, a daunting task because all of a sudden I have to put in some work. Why am I going to, oh, man, I have to start cleaning this out. No, I don't know. I'm going to have to take some time. I'm going to have to change my schedule. I'm going to have to change my life. I'd rather go do something else. Just kind of let that build up. And we do that. It's, it's normal. I mean, I use the garage example. I'm sure everybody's experienced having to clean a closet, having to clean a garage, having to clean a room, whatever it is. Uh, when there's a lot of clutter, it keeps us from seeing the actual treasures that we have. So what happened with Cain, though? This is interesting to note because what's what's going to happen to us if we continue down this path where I'm afraid to put myself in the presence of God, but I never do, and I never look at the truth behind that. What happened to Cain? He had the option. God told him, rule over it. Ruling over it means putting in the work, going in and cleaning things out. What happened to Cain? He Instead of saying, I'm going to 
you know, man up. I'm going to try to do what I got to do here and, and do what's right. Even if it's not easy, nope, I'm going to get rid of what looks good. I'm going to get rid of everything that seems to be pleasing to God because then that's not, I don't have to be reminded of that. I don't want to see that. I don't want to be reminded of what looks good. And how many times does that happen? How many times do we see somebody who's doing what's right? Somebody who is, uh, um, let's just give an example of elementary school, somebody who does our homework, who is trying to follow the teacher's directions, um, trying to do what's right in class, getting good grades. All of a sudden, kids who might not want to follow that, kids who might not want to study well, what do they start doing? Oh, you're the teacher's pet. Oh, you're too, you're a smarty pants. Oh, you're a nerd. Oh, we don't like you. Why? Because it's a reminder of, man, that's what we should be doing. But all of a sudden they put them down. Instead of saying, you know what? I'm going to behave better. I'm going to do what's right. Nope. Let's put the other person down. And then that way I don't have to worry about it as much. I'm going to look a little bit better. Or maybe I can bring them down with me. That's the other part of that. I'm going to bring other people down into my sin. Notice that's part of sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. It not just desires to have you, it desires to have a lot of people. And this is why, especially if we see that, you know, somebody in, in the hierarchy of the church or anybody along those lines, if it turns out that they're not doing well or they're not following what they need to follow, being in the hierarchy, we always say, gosh, they're going to bring a lot of people down with them. Why? Because we follow in what we think is right. And we see, we look up to certain people to what we think is right. And if they're not doing it the way that they're supposed to, we say, well, what's the point? Why should I do it that way then? If I find out that this person who I emulated, who I thought was a really spiritual person, if I find out that they're not doing what's right, gosh, why am I doing that? I'm wasting my time. Well, there's a real reason why we should uh, not focus in that direction, but focus on Christ. And we're going to follow. We're going to follow up with that after the break. All right, well, welcome back to Virgin Mouse Powerful Radio. Welcome back to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. Today we're asking the question, are you afraid of God? Are we ever in a moment where we're feeling afraid of God? Why is that? And what can we do about it? Is there a reason why we're afraid of God? Should we be afraid of God? Um, is that our? Is that a bad emotion? You know, sometimes when uh, in therapy, depending on who you're speaking to, sometimes I'll have patients come and tell me that they feel guilty about things and they're not sure what to do about that. They don't know how to get rid of that emotion. And they've been other, they've been to other therapists or other psychiatrists or other doctors. And usually they're told that they shouldn't feel guilty. Uh, that guilt is not a, a real emotion or a healthy emotion. And that, you know, they just kind of need to get rid of that. And they need to uh, not think that way and, and feel differently. Um, usually I tell people, I don't tell you how to feel. And however you're feeling is, is what you're presenting with. Um, but guilt is a very real emotion, and I think it's one that we need to listen to because guilt reminds us that there is a right and a wrong. And sometimes when we're afraid to put ourselves in the presence of God is because we're afraid that our guilt will be shown and that we're not going to have any hope. And like I was saying, a lot of times we feel like no matter what I do, I'm going to feel guilty. I'm going to put myself in the presence of God, and boy, I'm going to be sent to hell. And that's all there is to it we got to remember that we put ourselves in hell, and God is merciful to the end. We've been reading a little bit about the story of Cain and Abel. Um, important to look at in this context because we look at the fact that Cain had an outlet. Even though his gifts were not pleasing to God at the moment, God reminded him why that was. And he told him, if you do what's right, you will be accepted, which tells us that Cain was doing something, whatever it was, that wasn't right. Take your pick. 
doesn't matter. We all have lots of opportunity to do what's not right. God also gave him a directive, and he said, he gave him a warning and a directive. He said, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. That's a directive. We have to conquer the sin. What happens? Cain chose to kill Abel. Cain chose to not look at what was good and not even have it around him, um, and thinking, maybe I won't, I won't be afraid of God that way, because I don't have to look at what's good um, in my surroundings. Once he saw that, though, God asked him what he had done. And he told him that he was going to, um, this is what he says. Let's just read it. He said, the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. A lot of times we think that God's going to punish us. And we're, we read this, and if we're not savvy, if we're not, if we're not reading it, if we're not looking at the psychology of this, I, like, I love looking at the psychology, how God thinks, or what's set up here. A lot of times we say, oh, God punished Cain. And God told him that because of this, he was not going to allow uh, the work from the ground to yield crops, and that he would now make him a restless wanderer on the earth. <clears throat> God never said that. And if you notice, God doesn't say, this is what I'm doing to you. He says, what have you done? By even saying, what have you done? He's saying, that's not what I wanted you to do. This is still God as a good father who is saying, don't do that. Because he's saying, your brother's blood cries out to me for the ground. But now you are under a curse. He's not saying, I curse you. He's saying the natural consequence of your sin, and in this particular case, murder, that's just the way that the rules are, the divine laws. The natural consequence of your sin is that you are now under the curse and under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. That's just what's going to happen. Because when we sin, there are natural consequences. Now he was under a curse. God didn't put him under that curse. It's just what happened. It's like talking about gravity. I decided to jump off a building. Why'd you do that? I'm not telling you to die, but if you jump off the building, gravity's gravity, and you're going to fall, and you're probably going to hurt yourself pretty badly, depending on the height that you fall off from. Then God told him, when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. He's not saying, I'm going to make it so that the when you work the ground, it no longer yields crops. And he's not saying, I'm making you a restless wanderer. He's saying, these are unfortunately the consequences of what you did. It's actually a warning. I think it's a very loving warning where he's giving him a heads up, as we would say. Hey, by the way, this is what's going to happen now. I'm just letting you know. You fall from that ground. Now you broke your bone. Now you're going to have to put on a cast. Now you're going to, uh, you know, why you jump off that building? Why you jump? Even if it was one story, you did that. Now you've broken your leg. You're going to have to have a cast for a few weeks. You're going to walk funny. And so I'm just letting you know what's going to happen so that we can prepare for this. Now we got, I'm trying to bring you back really is what I'm trying to do. We're, in order for you to heal, these are the natural consequences. Cain tells him, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Notice, God never told him I'm driving you, but that's the way Cain reads it. That's what happens when we're in sin. We see it as God is telling me, God is punishing me. He's saying, you are driving me from the land. And God never said that. God said, this is what's happening as a result of your sin. The Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. This is important. Notice that he's saying not so. He's saying not so to everything he just said. 
My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. God said, not so. That's not the way it is. That's how you see it because you're blinded by sin. No different than Adam and Eve. They sinned. They hid from God, right? They, they felt God wasn't going to love them. That's what happens to us. Why am I afraid to present myself to God? Because I'm afraid I'm going to be thinking just like Cain. My mind is going to be in the wrong place. It's going to say, God, you're going to drive me from this land. You're going to drive me from heaven. And I'm going to be hidden from your presence. No, that's how I feel. Because when I sin, I want to hide just like Adam and Eve. Is this why I'm afraid to present myself before God? It could be a reason. It could be a reason, spiritually speaking. But what does God say? God says, not so. And in fact, Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And he had a wife and he had children. God did not stop blessing Cain. God, in fact, protected him. He said, look, these are the natural consequences of your sin. You put yourself in a bad position. I'm still going to help you out. I'm still, I, I need to bring you back. God wouldn't bless somebody with a marriage, with children. God could have easily told them, nope, now you're going to die. You are definitely going to go to hell. Jesus is no longer going to come for you. Never said that. Never said that at all. In fact, when we're feeling that way, whether we're feeling anxious, scrupulous, or afraid to be in the presence of God, what we have to remember is we do not put ourselves in the presence of God by ourselves. When we go to the presence of God, Christ is right there with us as the son, as our brother who died for our sins and justifies our presence before God. But we have to be ready to accept that. We have to be able to have our eyes open. Cain's eyes are closed. He's thinking God is still trying to punish him. And God is saying, not so, I'm not trying to punish you. There's just consequences to your sin. That's just how it goes. And in fact, I've given you a chance. I told you, do what's right. Sin is at your door. I'm giving you a warning, but you chose not to do that. And in fact, I told you, take action, rule over sin, which tells us that we have power to rule over sin through God. God gives us that power. It's not my own. God has given me that power through Christ. Where do we see another story of two brothers where all of a sudden we see God as a loving God? Sometimes we're afraid. We're afraid because we think God of the Old Testament is going to banish us to hell, but we saw that he did. He wanted to help Cain out, even in the midst of his sin. The other one is my one of my favorite stories of the Bible. It's the parable of the, of the prodigal son that Jesus gave us. It is from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 31. I know we're not going to have too much time here at the end of the show, but we have to get to the point where the prodigal son, who really is a prodigal son? There's a lot of debate there. Is it the son who left the father and asked him for his riches? Or is the son who stayed and still complained because being in the father's presence was not enough? We have to ask ourselves about that. But this is one thing we need to remember. How is this, this different from Cain's story? Well, the son who went away, who spent all his money and his inheritance lavishly, got to the point where he was feeding, it says here, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. He had nothing at that point. Cain also got to the point where he had nothing, but God put him in a different land, and he had a family. In this case, the prodigal son, or the story of the prodigal son, the son who left, got to the point where he had nothing, but the difference is his eyes were open to his father, and he was going to present to his father in humility. That's what Cain didn't do. Cain could have asked God, God, please help me. I know the right thing to do, but I don't know how to do it. Please help me so I can do it. Instead, he let his jealousy and anger towards Abel drive his action. In this case, the son says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. That's where I would say we need to start. If we get to the point where we're afraid 
to go before God, where I'm about to pray, but ah, I don't know, I can't do God's going to look right through me. God's going to see who I am. He's going to tell me who I am. And in fact, he's going to tell me what my sins are, and I'm not ready to see them. I think before that, I think I have to look at my sins and come up with this phrase again, come up with this Bible verse and say it before I even present myself to God. And I need to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He arose and came to his father. This is where the reality happens. We recognize our sin. We humble ourselves before before God. We don't let anger overcome us. How do we rule over sin? With humility, with recognizing that God is God and he has the power to save us. And what will God do once we rule over sin with humility? As the son said to him, he was coming forward. And in fact, let's go on. He says, he rose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, which means that his father was looking for him. If he was a long way off, how could his father see him? His father was looking for him. We've got to remember, even if I feel like I'm in a, in a difficult position, I'm afraid of God, God is looking for me lovingly. I'm afraid that God's going to put me in hell. That's not God's psychology. God's psychology is, I want to save you. I want to save you so much that I'm going to send you Jesus Christ. That I'm going to send you Jesus to die on the cross, to redeem you of your sins so you can make it into heaven. I'm going to keep giving you chance and chance and time and time again to come to me and to be justified through the sufferings of Christ. But he rose and came to his father. His father saw him and felt compassion, ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, he started talking to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You practice the line, right? We practice this before we come to God. We have it in our hearts. We start to believe that this is true, that I'm no longer worthy to be before the presence of God. But then what does God do? Well, what does the father do? He says, but the father said to his servants before he even finished, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son. He was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Why is that important? Because as soon as we come back to God with humility, and we overcome sin with humility, we rule over sin with humility, God is going to remind us who we are. He's going to say, you are my daughter. You are my son. This is who you are. He's going to put that ring on our hands and our robes so that we are ready to get into the feast of heaven. He's going to have a party for us. He's going to have a feast for us. He's going to get rid of all that fear. And he's going to say, you were afraid because your sin didn't let you see who you were. It didn't let you see, it didn't let you see you yourself the way I see you, the way I've been seeing you from far off. And I see you as a royal nation. I see you as a royal son or daughter. And that's what counts. That's what matters. That's what I think is going to bring us back to God. I'm afraid to be in the presence of God. I got to put myself humbly, look at myself humbly, and put myself in the presence of God and realize that God loves me. God just doesn't want to. Until next week.